Hello and greetings everyone. I'm Pastor Edwin Strickland and I serve as the Senior Pastor of Fellowship of Champions Church International, a worldwide ministry helping people to learn to live out their God-given dreams by walking in love and living by faith. And I get to be your host and your guide for this exciting journey that we're about to take that we call Ed Talk with Pastor Strick. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Ed Talk with Pastor Strick. I am your boy, Pastor Strick, and I'm excited that you are here today. Listen, if you joined me last week when we were talking about dealing and overcoming shame, you are going to want to tag all your friends and family to come in today because we're talking about that same subject, but I've got some guests with me who are going to give you some insight some wisdom, some knowledge, and some understanding that you are not going to want to miss. So go ahead right now and help me with some social media outreach. Like this podcast, love this podcast. Let me know where you are watching from. I see people from Maryland. I see people from Michigan. I see people from Nevada. I see people from Oklahoma. I see people, of course, from Arkansas and from Florida. Let me know where you are watching from. I'm so excited about what's happening with the Ed Talk podcast. Was talking to my podcast coach this week, was getting some new analytics. There are people watching in Germany. There are people watching uh, in the Caribbean. There are people watching in South America. This is so exciting because so many people all over the world are getting a chance to get delivered healed and set free uh, because one, I chose to obey God, but two, you chose to listen and to share with other people. So I appreciate you. Tennessee's in the house. Georgia's in the house. Listen, keep tagging. Do me another special favor today, though. Let me know if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. If you're watching on Facebook, just type FB in the comment section. If you're watching on YouTube, just type YT. I just want to know where you're watching from. Of course, you can always follow my pack, my podcast by going to pastorstrick.com. That takes you directly to my YouTube page. Uh, and then you can click that subscribe button. I think I'm just over the 100 mark in two weeks. So that's pretty good for me. Uh, I'm excited about it. Don't have a lot of announcements today, so I want to get right into our teaching today. Remember I said last week we were talking about dealing with shame, dealing with shame, a journey to living your best life. And I've got some power-packed guests who I'm about to introduce you to. I'm going to bring them on screen, and then when we're all on there together, we're going to jump right into it, okay? Right into it. So I'm going to introduce my first guest. My first guest, of course, is none other than my beautiful wife, Pastor Sean Strickland. I get to do life and ministry with her. I get to hang out with her and go. She went bowling with me the other day. She went to the movies with me the other day. We are just living our best life. And she has so much wisdom and insight to share. I couldn't do a panel discussion like this without including her. So I thank her for being there. My next guest is someone you may not know, but you may know them if you follow uh, Fellowship of Champions because he's been with our ministry for a while. And that is Minister Bernard Piggy Jr. Now, if you know uh, BJ, you know he has a teaching ministry. Uh, he teaches live on Facebook every Thursday night. 
And so if you don't know him, you're going to get a chance to hear him talk today. And he's going to share some some things that uh, the Lord has revealed to him you know, about this subject. You're going to get to hear the wisdom in his voice. And so I encourage you, if you're not busy on Thursday nights, check out those teachings. Also, if you don't catch it live, like just like us, you can always catch those replays, right? You can always catch those replays. And then this next person really needs no introduction either. If you have ever been on prayer, if you have ever been to FOC, if you ever saw somebody sing, if you've ever seen somebody work with the kids, then you have seen this face because she has done it all. That is Pastor Nitra. Pastor Nitra Williams will be with us today. She is a renowned counselor. Honest to goodness, I laugh and joke, but she's probably one of the most sound biblical counselors, Christian counselors that I have encountered. She's one of the people who I let, you know, besides my wife, really check me about some things uh, because it's always going to be in love and it's always going to be seen. And then lastly, I got my son on here, my one of my other spiritual sons, and that is Coach Vaughn. Coach Vaughn is a chief performance officer at CCV training, uh, and he uh, trains young kids. He trains uh, school-aged kids. He trains adults and world-class athletes and so uh you're going to have a, a whole mixture uh, of people on here today as we talk about dealing with shame and how to live our best life so let me just say on the bottom of my heart thank each and every one for taking an hour out of your time uh in order to be here today okay yes the people are saying okay this is going to be good it is it's going to be really really good and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask one particular question, uh, and 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 I'll just kind of ask the question. I want each of you to kind of answer it, and then from there we'll kind of go popcorn with the rest of with, with the rest of the questions. I want this to be organic, but I really want it to be um, kind of like a mirror, so that people who um, are watching this can learn from you. They could be like, oh, I never thought about it like that. Or, oh, I understand how they dealt with that. Because I believe that on the, on the other side of this screen, there is a whole lot of learning uh, taking place. And so here's my first question. My first question is this. Can each of you, in your own way, share with our listeners today maybe your personal experience with dealing with toxic shame? Like, when did you first realize that it was an issue for you and that it was something different than what we talked about last week, what we talked about benign shame. Benign shame is that idea of like, you know, maybe I tear my pants in the middle of a mall. I'm embarrassed, right? I'm, a, I'm ashamed that that happened. But that doesn't change the course of my life and how I'm going to make decisions a week from it. But toxic shame is that kind of shame that we internalize that ends up really saying something about who we are and because of that, then we make different decisions. And so I'll, I'll ask Pastor Sean, if you don't mind, if, if you'll go first. Uh, BJ, I'll ask you to jump in after she gets through. Mitra, uh, right. you can go and then said you can, you can finish us up on this particular uh, question. So Pastor Sean, it's on you. All right. So um, for me, it's a very, very simple answer. And it is um, when I realized after thinking my whole life I wanted to be a lawyer that I really didn't want to be a lawyer. Um, I'm in my first year of law school and I realized that this is not work that aligns with who I am, but there are so many people who expect me to be a lawyer. I mean, it's all my friends in high school ever thought I wanted, was going to be. It's all I ever 
I, all my college friends ever thought I was going to be. And so that wake up call to like have spent so much time heading in a direction and not knowing then what was next, I felt incredibly ashamed. I don't know that I knew it was shame at the time, but it just felt like, oh my God, you've really messed up your life, right? Now, I think I kind of downplayed it through the rest of law school because at that point, nobody had to know that I didn't want to practice, right? But then it's afterwards when it's time to take the bar and all of my friends are getting jobs and everywhere I go, people are like, oh my God, when are you going to practice? And then when I finally get the courage to say, I'm not going to practice, everybody except for you and my grandmother are constantly trying to redirect me back to that. Oh, girl, I can't believe you spent all that time in school and now you ain't going to practice law. You just let that go to waste. And I literally went through a period of time where I felt like, one, I was second-guessing myself. Did I make a mistake, right? Except I knew the work didn't align. I knew how miserable doing the work made me feel, right? But I also knew how miserable it felt to be around people who were constantly saying to me that I needed to practice law. So I, I think that that was, I think that's it for me. <laughs> I appreciate that. We'll come back and jump into a couple of questions. There's some questions. One of them popped up in the comment section that said, oh, my gosh, you know, how did you get the courage to tell others you wouldn't be doing it? And we'll get a chance to come back and talk about that, because that's one of the questions we're going to talk about, the courage we needed to get rid of or overcome this toxic shame. So, BJ, you're up next. All right. Well, for me, well, it's been a few times, but the one that first came to mind was when um, I decided not to finish college in the sense of traditional college. And so uh, my whole entire life, you know, especially growing up in a black family, a lot of emphasis was put on education and getting your degree and everything like that. And I wasn't necessarily sure outside of doing ministry work, I wasn't necessarily sure anything else that I was supposed to be doing outside of just getting a word from God saying, I don't, I don't want you to go to school. I don't want you to finish school. Now I did ended up going to a Bible college for a couple of years, but I never finished traditional uh, schooling. I never finished, got my degree in college. And so due to that, especially with everybody in my family going to college and getting their degrees, a lot of my cousins, aunties, many people around me, everybody that I know, everybody's on this panel basically been going to school, got doctorates. And so for me, having to deal with uh, the area of shame where this is concerned, uh, looking at myself, feeling, um, looking at myself saying, hey, I don't feel accomplished. I don't feel like uh, I'm doing what everybody else is doing. And I had to get real secure in what the Lord called me to do in order to walk the path that he's called me to. And that didn't involve for me finishing out college. Now, I've gone several different routes and I'm at a place right now where God has me in and in the vein that I'm in where I'm being extremely successful and I'm being uh, extreme. I'm doing exactly what he's called me to. But I did have to go through that uh way of shame and, and in a sense looked down upon because i didn't finish school because like i said everybody around me finished school and i didn't and so i had to stick with what god told me to do in order to deal with that area of shame where not finishing school was concerned and and, and was that area of shame because you and Pastor both kind of talked about this was that area of shame more internal was that your own personal feeling about the thing or was it what people were saying and doing or both well, to be honest, it was both, but more so other people than me, okay. because 
when, when I got the word, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. When I got the word, I didn't really care what other people had to say, even though even though I even though I dealt with it a lot and heard a lot of noise from the outside. It was more so people talking to me about it than me myself, because I really didn't care. But I still had to deal with it. I still mm -hmm. had to be around the people that I was hanging around, talking to my parents, my family. You know, you can't get around it. And so uh, for me more so others than myself because i was really staunch on what god told me to do yeah well good we'll come back and we'll we'll, we'll deal we'll dig around in that in just a little bit i want to okay. give uh pastor nitra an opportunity to share with us too uh and then we'll go to coach Vaughn after that okay so for me it was probably um surrounding my divorce but it was actually two parts it was when i realized i shouldn't have married the person mm. and the divorce part so there was the shame of oh my gosh, I thought you were a good decision maker. You made a bad decision. <laughs> and then it was, okay, once you recognize that this marriage is over, the shame that just comes with that from you're a Christian, you pray, pray mm -hmm. it through, you're a counselor, you're supposed to know these things. Um, again, feeling that kind of internal dialogue of you knew better, why, you know, that, that talk of going back and forth. So I think for me, that was probably the moment I started to go, oh, this is this is some shame here. I feel like a failure. And I remember actually calling Pastor Sean saying that, like, it feels like failure. I don't like failure. And so that that brought that feeling of shame for me. I thought it was interesting the way you said, wait a minute, you're a good decision maker. What have, what have you done? <laughs> so when we pride ourselves on certain mm -hmm. things and it doesn't work out the way we want, that can be an intern, even, even if nobody else is saying you made a bad decision. If you pride yourself right. on something and it doesn't work out, you can really beat yourself up about that. And I think that's one of the things that resonates with so many people who've reached out to me since last week. They've talked about how they 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 made the decision to stop beating themselves up for what they for a decision that they made that they thought was a good decision. They didn't think they didn't go into it going, oh, I'm about to make a bad decision. Right. They, they made a decision that they thought was good. It didn't turn out. But then how do I let go of not beating myself up? And so we're going to get a chance to dig around into that in just a minute as well. All right, Coach, you're next. Let's see what you're talking about today. Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of come from two parts. Um, one, the shame from not finishing school. But more importantly, the deeper part was uh, being successful and coming from a poverty background. I think that still probably is the one thing that I would be honest, be 100% honest with, I'm still dealing with today. So coming from a background where I knew that, I, I knew that there was success out there, that I knew that there was people that, that was financially successful, but coming from a background where I didn't have, and we had to fight for everything, that was the probably the, the, the the biggest thing that shapes even my decision making today, I never wanted to be broke. I didn't want to grow up broke. And that's one of the things that I grew up with. And so um, probably it's one of the things that I would, you know, like I say, that I would still kind of deal with uh, um, today is I'm always making decisions because I hated how I grew up. I hated people coming to my house. I hated people seeing where I came from. I hated the vehicle that we drove in. All of those things I, I you know, I, I kind of dealt with and I was, you know, I just felt like it wasn't good enough. And so I always wanted to work hard or do something to overcome all of the stuff that I was ashamed of. I whether, and don't get me wrong, my mom and dad did a great job raising us, but I just, you know, I didn't have shoes. I didn't have all of those different things. And so uh, my shame more or less came from, um, you know, people, and I don't know that people actually 
um, was talking about me or anything like that. I know I got talked about in elementary, but it was probably more or less me saying, man, I wish I could have better. I wish I could do this. I wish I didn't have to be on free lunch. Um, just all the different things that come from, you know, not having or coming from a poverty mindset. So, and I think it's, it's it, I think you asked the question, whether more from the outside or from the inside. It may have started from the outside when I was younger, but I think I more or less made that something internal. Um, and it's always been there with me. It's always been something in the background. You don't ever want to be that guy that was, uh, that, you know, that just didn't have enough. Or whether they had to, you know, even get a ride to church, stuff like that. And so um, I always hated having to to be that person that always, you know, needed help or whatever. So so that's probably where my biggest shame come from. I appreciate you sharing that. One of the things that Pastor Sean and I, and, and we don't use this word lightly, um, we hate poverty. We hate poverty. And the reason we hate poverty is because poverty has a way of, of, of inflicting lifelong scars upon us. And, 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 and so that even when we're not in poverty, poverty is still speaking to us if we don't learn to get it out of us. Uh, I remember uh, watching a, a TV show years ago. Me and Pashon was, and, and this, this, this will show you how long ago, it was MTV Cribs. Now, you know how long ago that's been. And Pashon and I was watching MTV Cribs and uh, at the time she was married to Russell Simmons, Kamoralee Simmons. And she was talking about how she had grown up pretty poor. But here we are, the TV cameras are walking around her multi-million dollar mansion. They're showing her Versace uh, dinnerware. She's got a Gucci wallpaper on the wall. She's got these diamond encrusted uh, figurines and what she turns to the camera and says now here's a woman who's by all means successful and has everything she wants she's driving a, a Rolls Royce Bentley every day of the week and she turns to the camera and he she says this is for everybody who ever made fun of me for being poor that's what she did she took her moment in, in which she was there to just be uh, celebrated and poverty was still speaking and so there may be people out there who, who yes, somebody says they remember that episode. There may be people out there who, who feel like that. And hopefully today we can we can give them some tools and some some ways in which uh, they can they can deal with and get over some of that shame. So here, here's my next question. And we'll pause for a moment. You can think about it. And then whoever wants to answer it first can answer. Everybody doesn't have to. But I'd like to ask one of the four of you kind of. Uh, if you could, like, can you share a particular moment, if you can think about it, um, that kind of acted as the catalyst for you to begin to actually address these feelings of shame that you all have talked about? Like, what was the thing? What what what, what made you realize, man, Pashan mentioned she didn't know it was shame. You know, what kind of what made you think about how do I need to I need to address this and how, how do I should, how should I go about it? Oh, I'll go because I, 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 I remember mine pretty clearly. Okay. So it's this moment where like I'm searching for something, right? I don't, I know I'm not supposed to be a lawyer, but I don't know what I'm supposed to be. So I, I was listening to BJ and I was thinking my story's a little different than his because the Lord said not to practice. I knew I wasn't supposed to practice, but I really didn't know what was next, okay. right? So it's like being so certain all of your life 
and then being so completely uncertain. And you remember, I like took classes in a million things, took a million jobs just trying to figure my path. I but think I, you were to be an astronaut at one point, weren't you? Now you joking now. You just <laughs> want too much. I'm joking, but you did do a lot of stuff. Now, you're not gonna be you're not gonna be treating me bad on your little show because I'm I'll leave now. You're not gonna have to do me like that. Uh, but not an astronaut, but a whole lot of stuff. Okay. Um, but one day I had this revelation that I was putting a lot of stock into the views of people, and most of them yeah. didn't even like their job. Mm. And I went, wait a minute. They don't even like their work. And I'm going to let them talk me into going back to something I know doesn't fit or feeling shame for having the courage to try a bunch of different stuff. Mm. I'm literally taking advice from people that I wouldn't want their life. And I think that was the moment for me that I was like, I think that's when I adopted the saying that I used to say all the time, I may not know where I'm going, but I know I'm not staying here. There you go. And I think that's really for me when I had the courage to just be like, yeah, I don't know where I'm going, but I don't want to be you. Mm. I like that. I like that. Anybody else got a got an aha moment, so to speak, of when you recognize it? BJ, you got one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Piggyback off it because basically for me, one of the catalysts in addition to me hearing God was the fact of student loan debt. Because when I went to school for the first year, everything was basically paid for except for a little bit of debt. But as I continued on, as I continued to see, I was going to have to incur a lot of the expenses to continue in traditional education. And one of the big things for me was I wasn't about to do that. I wasn't about to say, hey, I'm, I'm in addition to God telling me not to do it. I'm like, I'm not going to take on debt in, and, and continue to further down, go down this path of a path that God doesn't want me to go and then take on debt to do it. So I just wasn't going to do it. And so when I had the little bit of debt that I had in the first year and paid it off the year after, I said I wasn't going to go back. And so for me, it was looking at other people. Uh, continuously getting into debt to continue to go down that path. Now, again, I'm not bashing anybody that went to school. Everybody's supposed to go and do what they're supposed to do. But for me, it was just completely different. And I never discourage anybody from doing what they believe God told them to do and going to school. I never bashed it. But I just knew for me, it was what God told me to do. And like I said, in addition to the debt and what God told me to do, I just said, I wasn't going to do it. So, uh, so, and then once I got free of that student debt, I said I wasn't going back. And so that was the bit, that was another catalyst or aha moment for me. Why am I going to continue to go down the path and let people get me in the debt when that's not even what God told me to do? And, and what's interesting now is we actually have people who are dealing with shame because of student loan debt. Um, you know, they, 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 they did go to school. Uh, they may not have had other means. They took out loans or whatever. Sure. And, and, and maybe they're even actually in the career they want to be in. But now they still have those student loan debts and, and they battle with that internal feeling of, man, am I ever going to be able to get out of this? Am I going to be able to buy a house? Am I going to be able to buy a car? Am I going to be able to have money to send my kids to school? You know, you hear about people paying on their student loan debts for like 25 years and owing more than when they started because of the interest rates and those right. kind of things. 
Mm -hmm. so, so that's good. I appreciate that. Pastor Nietzsche, I have a question for you that I'll I kind of throw to you. It's a little different than this one, but it kind of in that same vein about realizing what was the catalyst saying, you know, this is shame and I need to get rid of this. And the question is, you know, as a counselor, as a mental health professional, can you kind of walk our listeners through maybe the process uh, that you went through or they would need to go through in order to acknowledge and address their shame? And then if there's a particular strategy or technique that you would advise them to use or to find or to research about how do I get out of this? If I'm, if I'm feeling, you know, I'm listening to y'all today, I'm resonating with y'all. I'm still feeling this. Coach Vaughn said he still deals with some of the effects of that shame. What would you say to our listeners? Um, I think the first step is, is what you said, like acknowledging that's what it is. Like, oh, mm -hmm. this is shame and recognizing I no longer want shame to, to control my decision making. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it was, oh, this is actually holding me back from experiencing the things that I actually want in my life. Yeah, I don't really like that. It has too much power. So mm -hmm. acknowledging the, what it is and acknowledging the consequences of holding on to that shame. And, and I was talking earlier, for, for me, I think shame was this idea of, or had this connection to punishment. Mm. Like you have to yeah. go through something. This shame brought this idea that you have to deal with a certain punishment, right? And if that's your mindset, you will keep yourself from getting better, going after the thing you actually want, because you feel like you, you have to go through the steps of penance, if you will. You have to go through the punishment of, dealing with those mistakes or whatever. And so I think the first step is recognizing that it is shame. The second step I would say is giving yourself permission to move forward, giving yourself permission to say, yep, I messed up. I grew up in poverty. I, made, I had a divorce. I changed decisions with career, whatever it is. But now I actually have permission to be happy, to go after the goal, the dream, the life that God created for me. Um, and so I think those things and, and recognizing um, you did what you did based on who you were at the time, based on the information you had at the time. It's not like, and you said it earlier, most people don't jump up and say, I'm going to make a bad choice. <laughs> right, right. Based on who we were at that moment and the information we had at that moment, that decision made the most sense. And when you forgive yourself, hey, I was, sometimes you really, you're like, I don't even know if it's a matter of forgiving myself. It's just a matter of recognizing based on who I was, I was this age or this mindset and this information is what I had, that's the decision that I thought was best. Okay, now I have new information. Now I'm a, a different person. I can make different decisions. And so it frees you from feeling like you have to stay stuck in that place. It allows you to literally say, oh, well, yeah, that's who I was Friday. <laughs> but today I've gotten a new perspective. I have new wisdom. I can move forward. I like that. Listen, put in the comment section, when I'm a new person, I can make new decisions. Mm. I'm a new person. I can make new decisions. I don't have to keep beating myself up for sometimes things that are outside of our control. You know, we, we you know, said and I both share this idea of, of, of growing up with, without what we consider means, right? What, what, as a five-year-old, how do you control that? You can't. You can't, you can't go to work, <laughs> you know, you can't get a job and pay the bills. You can't bring income in, but, but the feeling is still there. 
And so, which leads to kind of this next question and said, I'll let you uh, start off with it and then anybody can jump in with it. But this question really is about our daily practices. And so here's the question, what are some daily practices or what are some daily routines that you can, that you personally follow to kind of keep that shame at bay? You know, I've got some, you, you may have some, other people may have some. So let's, let's, let's talk about that. Let's give our listeners some, some ideas about what they can do on a daily basis to keep whatever shame they may be dealing with or experiencing at bay and from overwhelming them. Yeah, so I had this, um, and it was actually Pastor uh, Tanisha Williams that taught me something uh, a long time ago, maybe three or four, <laughs> I don't know, maybe even 10 years ago. She taught this message that said, God ain't mad no more. God ain't mad no more. And that it resonated with me so much because I had become this person that was angry and mad. And it, it was, it was, it, was it, it, and it, it told me that I didn't have to be angry, that I didn't have to be that person. And I think uh, Pastor Nietzsche just said that, like I was that person then because that's what I had. And so I always say all the time, God is not mad at me anymore. God is not angry. God, I am not that person. And it's always going back to, to, I mean, on a day-to-day basis, even when I'm thinking about lack or something like that, thinking about trying to pay a bill or, or how I'm going to come up with something, I remember that even if I made a bad financial decision yesterday, I am not that person. I know better. And so I understand that 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 all of the things that happened in the past was, was I mean, just like you guys said, was something based on um, 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 those things or that who that person was then. So every day and I, and just like i say this is just for me i am reminded that i am not going to work to to get out of poverty i am doing what god said so i have to remember that i don't i don't i don't go to work for money or whatever i don't go to this for for that what i am doing is what god said and so i have to constantly say that because there will be someone that may not pay me or there will be something that come up or an unexpected thing like that. And so I know I kind of talk about money a month, but like I said, it's an ongoing thing. So one of the things that I do say is, is, is this is what God told me to do. And I know that, that the path that I'm on is what God told me. So um, if I had to say anything, it would just be, you know, having a word from God. Mm-hmm. And, and two, I got a tribe. I got a, you know, a group of people that is always setting me up in the right direction. So I, I'm, I'm, I can be transparent with them. And so as long as I'm transparent with my tribe, with my people, they can always see the things that I'm saying and doing and not, that's not going the right way. So, so those are the two things that I can use on a day-to-day basis, um, every day, every moment when I'm trying to, to do my day-to-day living, my day-to-day life. I always got constant people to, um, saying, saying the right things to me. So I'm super transparent on that area. There's no shame in, in my group. And then the other thing, like I say, is it just reminding myself, God is not mad at you no more. You're not... You're not that person anymore. And that's a constant internal saying that I say all the time. That's good. So basically what I heard, hear you saying is that what you do every day, part of your daily practice is making sure that you start over every day. Whatever deci- bad decisions you made the previous day, you're like, okay, it may have been a bad decision. God isn't hating on me. God ain't mad at me. The same God who loved me yesterday, he, he doesn't love me less because I made a, a bad decision. My goal is to not make that decision again. But God isn't mad at me that I made it. And also that when you go to work and do your job, even though money and, and I know I, I used to be a person who money, money is still very important to me. 
Uh, I know I talk to people all the time. I say, well, money's just not that important to me. I laugh and I joke and I tell people all the time, it is, it is God, right? Way up here. And then down here, it's like shun money, right? I, I love shun and, money, and money is right underneath that, right? And I, ha- and I, and I used to be yeah. out of balance with that. Uh, and I and I would do, I would work hard and do things and it, sometimes even ignore the things that God was really telling me to do because I was in pursuit of money. So what I hear you say is that although you want money, you don't pursue it like that. What you're pursuing is what God has called you to do. So that's a good daily practice. Anybody else got some daily practices that they do? They want to share with the people. I'm very just future focused. Meaning that, like, I don't spend a lot of time rehearsing the past because there's nothing I can do about the past. So it's like, okay, if there is something in my life I want to change, what can I do today to give me a better tomorrow? That's literally what I'm looking for every day. What can I do today to give me a better tomorrow? And I really think that the reason people get stuck in shame, like for me, what am I doing? I'm wasting time going, oh, if I had known this, I wouldn't have gone to law school. Oh, I wish I hadn't done this. Oh, we sh- you know what? If I wasn't going to practice, we could have moved away. All of this different stuff. But but in all honesty, like, guys, that's stupid because I can't do anything about yesterday. And I think I think I think a lot of times people don't say to themselves that's stupid, like. You can't do anything about yesterday. You can't do anything about 10 years ago. You can't do anything about how you grew up or the credit card debt that you got in college. But what can you do today to create a better tomorrow? And I challenge myself that when I find myself cycling in the past, I have a rule that I'm going to now find one thing I can do to move me forward. I'm going to do one thing that can move me forward. Is it read a book? Is it talk to somebody? Is it is it create a new product? But I'm going to do one thing that's going to move me forward. I like that. I like that. So be what I heard you say was be future focused. Future focused. And not so future focused that you're not enjoying the moment, but you're, you're really talking more so about not dwelling in the past. Right. Because once the milk is spilt, you can't pick it back up and put it back in the jug. It's but you can get some more milk. You can get some more milk. We say that all the time. We can't get some more milk. Okay. I, I would say. Go ahead, Pastor oh, I was going to say, I was going to say, I'd say something similar to Pastor Sean as far as just checking your thinking. Like going through when, when come, something comes up, you're like, oh, wait, that was this this many years ago or that was yesterday. This is what I'm kind of, again similar to what she's saying. What can I do today? It's very much just solution focused. What's how are we moving forward? How are we how are we doing that? I remember one time literally going through um, this moment with God where I'm just rehearsing the hurt. I mean, I was I was giving it to Him, and then I felt like this God, and I was like giving it to Him and giving it to Him and giving it to Him, and He said, "And aren't you glad I delivered you?" Ah, and. Yeah. and and I was like, but wait, I was still talking about all the hurt I had. Could you let me like finish? Stay? And he was like, but you're not there anymore. And like that was such a uh, slap. And I don't mean that in like a bad, but it was like this wake up call of girl, you're not even there. And you're sitting here dwelling on something that you have literally been delivered from. So instead of being grateful for the deliverance, you're focused on this other piece and i was like that was like from that point i mean that that one thing of aren't you glad i delivered you 
it was the the moment of oh well i guess we're not talking about that anymore because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense for me to keep talking about the hurt from the past when in reality i'm not there anymore unless i choose to go there in my mind right Listen, mm-hmm. if 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 God, if you're watching this podcast right now and you ever went to God with one of them grandiose pity parties, you went to, I mean, like Nietzsche said, you really was trying to let God have it about the hurt that people had done to you or what you had experienced. And God just stopped you in your tracks with a comment like that. Go ahead and put a one in the comment section. Put a one in the comment. Put a one in the comment. (laughs) Just go ahead and put a big old one in the comment section. You can say, it's me. I've been there. Listen, I've done it while I was trying to give God the business about his ministry. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm trying to give him the business about this ministry and these folks that he done called to his church. And I'm telling yeah. he gave me one of them big old, but aren't you glad moments? <laughs> it ain't nothing you can do but say, Yes, Lord, and just keep on going. <laughs> BJ, you got something that you do? Oh, go ahead, Pastor. Oh, yeah, y'all gonna say, Mom, can go real quick now. I jump in. I just wanted to say something to the people who struggle with student loan debt. And you and I decided this a long time ago. There are all these people who got all of this. Like to me, talking about student loan debt now is Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback. If you can go back to your life and you can say, based on what I knew at the time, based on the resources my family had at the time, the only way for me to that I knew at the time to create a better financial future for my family with student loans, I will not feel any shame about that. Yeah, right. I, we, right. we say that all the time. People get online and they say all this, but at the end of the day, even though I didn't practice law, the things I learned in law, the way I learned to think helped set me up for the work that I do now, right? And I'm just challenging everybody who's like out here going, well, I, I you know, I maxed out the credit card. Based on where you were, did you know of any other way to get it done? I got a car from a place with high interest. Based on where you were, did you know any other way to get it done? And if you didn't know any other way to get it done, let it go. Now to the people who say, I knew another way, but I didn't do it. Here's what I'm going to say to you. So what? Ain't nothing you can do about that now. So you can do it with us too. Mm -hmm. Come on over here with us. Get some new milk. (laughs) Get some new milk. Okay, right. what you got? Yeah. Well, I was I was just gonna say, um, you know, one of the things that I learned a little while ago was that you know a lot of times we say don't sweat the small stuff. Another way I would point it is: is it going to matter ten years from now? Is it going to matter twenty years from now? Why dwell on something that is no longer a part of your life when in twenty years from now what you're thinking is important now is not even going to be a part of your life? So one of the things God has uh, shown me is always ask yourself that question. The thing that you think is most important right now, is that going to matter to you 10 years from now? Is it going to matter to you 20 years down the line? Because if it's not, you don't need to be, you don't need to concern yourself with it right now. You need to only concern yourself with things that are going to matter going forward. So it goes that goes along right with everybody with it goes right along with what everybody else has said as far as letting the past go. Quit focusing in on the past. Stop thinking about it because you can't change it. So you might as well just deal with what you have now and move forward with it. The other thing I would like to say, as we were talking, as Mom was talking about student loan debt, you can look at this in the case of business. 
and in the case of entrepreneurship because a lot of us at a point in time we spent we, we didn't know any other way to get knowledge concerning the things that we wanted to pursue so we maxed our credit cards we've got loans to get the education and all this other stuff and we made mistakes we got loans that we shouldn't have got to do different business ventures and stuff like that and at the end of the day shame can come in and try to get you the uh to try to keep you in that spot to keep you from doing things going forward you can't do anything about this that debt that you incurred besides pay it back or let it go or let it go to um you know whatever but uh at the end of the day you can't do anything about that so you got to deal with what you have in front of you and then move forward with what you can focus on and one of the things guys been talking to me about here recently is that you know i'm going to take care of everything that you can't take care of but i need you to take care of the things i told you to take care of i'm going to step in where you can't but everything that i'm telling you to do i need you to do and when we do that together supernatural can take place but until you decide to do what i told you to do and allow me to do what you can do then the supernatural can't take place so we need to speaking to me individually i need to and and some of y'all out there as well needs to just focus on what god told them to do and allow god to do the rest that's good that's, that's powerful because you know if you, you think about those of you that are listening and I, i'm gonna say it this way you just been given a million dollars worth of game because say it says one of the daily practices that he practices is making sure that when he's going to work whatever he's doing that he is doing it as unto the lord that that's his focus Right. And then Pastor Sean comes back and she says, hey, I spend my time being future focused. In other words, I'm not worried about the past. Right. BJ follows that up by saying not only do we need to be future focused in the sense of not worrying about our past, but what the thing that's trying to bring shame to you, is that even going to matter 10 years from now? I mean, I know we're going to talk about this in in our upcoming shameless plug for Relationships 101 on August the 8th. You You ought to come and join us. You, ought, you really ought to be there. We're going to be talking about finding love again. Uh, and it's important. It's, a, it's an important concept because, you know, Pastor Nitra talked about one of her shame points was the decision to get married and then the divorce that followed. Does anybody care about that 10 years from now when she's happily married? It doesn't right. even matter. It doesn't even right. matter. And that's what BJ was getting at. And mm-hmm. then Nitra said, check your understanding, check your thinking, be solution focused. And we talked last week about how. The, the goal of shame, the goal of toxic shame is to keep you stuck and isolated. That's his job. One, in fact, we said it like this. We said the toxic shame was a feeling that says you're worthless. And when you're worthless, you don't feel like you can do anything else. You don't feel like you can move through. And we said it, it shows up when we make failures or mistakes. BJ talked about starting a business. Any entrepreneur who is out there you have you have tried a business and it did not work (laughs) there is not listen there is not an entrepreneur in this world who is successful who can tell you the first thing they did they got it right never made a mistake it just doesn't happen right we talk about trauma and abuse things that come as a result of things we cannot control uh said shared and i've shared about this idea of growing up in a place of lack but there are people who have been sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally abused at a young age. It's not something they can control. They're older now. And so we have to then release that story that we tell ourselves that I'm the way I am because something happened to me. 
that may be having an impact on me, but I can change. That's why we put that in the comment section when we say it, when I become a new person, I can make new decisions, right? And so I just think this is, this is, this is just so great. This is everything that I've been expecting. If some of you are having questions, you can go ahead and throw those up in the comment section. We got a couple more questions I'm gonna ask them, but I'll try to look over here. And if they come up, we'll stop and answer those questions because I, as much as I want you to hear the wisdom and the knowledge and the information uh, that this esteemed panel has, I also want to make sure that we get some of your questions answered. So here, here's my next question. Some of you kind of talked about it, but when people are dealing with shame, okay, whether it's about failed mistakes, whether it's about trauma and abuse, whether it's I made bad financial problems, right? Uh, whether it's about body image, you know, because it's a lot. Listen, social media will make you think that everybody is a size one, uh, you know, and, 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 and people use filters and, and angles and everything else. And if you're not careful, you can buy into the hype, especially our younger kids. Right. So whether it's body image and appearances, whether people we hadn't talked about this a lot, but there are people who struggle with addictions who suffer some, from shame. And I don't always mean you know, in the words of Judge Matthews, that they are crackhead. I don't always mean that. I mean, there are people who suffer from food addictions, right? From a lot of men, the statistics are crazy about the number of men who suffer from, porno from pornography addictions. Um, and sometimes we think of addictions being a thing that, that is just so out of control, you can't function. But, but you can be a functioning alcoholic. You can be a functioning yeah. porn addict. You know, uh, but those things have impact in your life, mental illness, right? Or the stigma around that. Pastor, Pastor Mitra does a, a, a show every Thursday where she has different mental health um, professionals on there talking about mental health or how it impacts or, or what things impact mental health in different industries. And so I encourage you to check her out on Thursdays on her page uh, because she has some insightful, insightful things on there. So my question is. Can some of you talk about the big obstacles people need to be on the lookout for when they make the decision that I'm going to overcome this toxic shame? Because we know we have an adversary, right? We have an, the Bible says we have an adversary. He's, he's, he's a, he, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He walks around like a roaring lion, seeing whom he can devour. So when a person out there says, I love this, I am not going to deal with toxic shame anymore. What are the things they need to be on the lookout for? I'll, I'll throw one out there. One I would say is the idea that it is tied to who I am. The mistake, the circumstances, when we start connecting it to our identity, I think it's harder to release because you see it as a part of who you are. And so being able to cut that off. And I was actually sharing this earlier when we were just kind of, I was going through some of the, the ideas of things we would be talking about. And I said, my father was uh, went to prison, I think, when I was a junior, early junior high. And there was a, there was some shame attached to that. But I didn't attach it to my identity. Mm. I literally would say, even at that age, I go, well, I didn't commit a crime. Like, I, I knew that that mm. wasn't for me. And so that shame didn't, to me, didn't feel quite as toxic. It was like, I mean, I don't want to tell people, you know, it's not something I'm walking around. I want to put on a billboard. Right. But at the same time, I didn't. I was like, that's not on me. However, the divorce for me felt like, 
oh, that's on me. That was a mistake mm-hmm. I made. And so my mm-hmm. identity was more connected to it. So it was harder to release it. And so that obstacle of because I made a mistake or I experienced this trauma, there is something wrong with me. I think if you, you have to cut that off and say, no, that was the decision I made. That was the thing that happened to me. But it doesn't have to define who I am. When you can define who you are, line it up with the word of God, that makes it uh, really an, almost a non-issue when you start allowing your identity to be um, determined by God's word and not your circumstances or your decisions. So, so what I hear you say is one of the obstacles people need to be aware of is that when they decide to get free from toxic shame, the enemy will try to get them to intertwine the shame with literally who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. So they have to be careful. So that's, I think that's a good look for. That's a good look for that people have to be aware of that mm-hmm. uh, those voices. And, and it's interesting that you say that because last night, uh, Pastor Sean, I'm going to put you on the screen. Last night, Pastor Sean and I were talking and she read something about, the, remember that statistic you read to me last night about the internal dialogue that people, have Sh- share that because I want to I want to I want to connect that to what Pastor Nietzsche said, but I don't know the statistic. I thought it was interesting. Um, I'm I'm now that you asked me share it. I'm curious how many people can actually hear themselves talking to themselves in your head. How many people can hear that? If you can hear that, put a two in the comment. I was blown away last night to find out that they say only about 26% of the population has the ability to have internal dialogue, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, in a way, the people who don't have internal dialogue have a disadvantage because they aren't as self-aware, but they also have an advantage because they're not as self-aware. Okay. So... Typically, people who aren't hearing that internal dialogue don't get to the place where they think they are their failure because they don't even have that kind of feedback coming to them to themselves. And for me, when I heard that, it resonated with me because it's really a two-edged sword, right? Because if only 26% of the population engages in internal dialogue, right? then what that means is we know that the enemy is always whispering to everybody. And so going back to what Pastor Nitra said, if I'm not having an internal dialogue and the enemy tells me I'm the problem, he tells me I'm the issue, he tells me I'm the reason, I'm not speaking back to that. All I'm doing is receiving that as though it's truth because I think that's what truth is because there's not another voice there. Which tells me then that that is 74% of the population who is susceptible to believing whatever the enemy says about them. You see what I'm saying? So that's why when you read that last night, it really blew me away because what I was thinking about is, man, the enemy says stuff to me all the time. And I'm not trying to be funny. I know it happens to other people. I can be driving sometimes and somebody be be walking and the enemy will tell me, run them over. That's a crazy thought. That's a that's an idiotic, dangerous, crazy thought, right? Now, I've never done it. I'm never going to do it as long as I'm in my right mind. 
But sometimes we watch things on TV and we'd be like, why would somebody act like that? They don't have an internal dialogue telling them not to. All they're hearing is what the enemy is saying to them. And the enemy is always whispering to all of us. And so if you're part of that 74% who don't have an internal dialogue, you're going to have to find some other tools and coping mechanisms when the enemy says to you, you got divorced because you weren't worthy to be loved. When he says you got divorced because of X, Y, and Z, you didn't get the job because you're not smart enough. Uh, you, you, you didn't get promoted because nobody likes you. And so if you're not, see, when I hear that, that's what we was talking about last night, kind of in, in, uh, in, in a circle when I got invited to the inside group. When, when we were talking last night and I said, if somebody says something to me, I, it means nothing to me because my internal dialogue about who I am is so loud. But a lot of people don't have that. And according to the research, 74% of people don't have that. And when people don't have that, I think that's what Pastor Nietzsche said is so important. You cannot intertwine yourself with the words of that shame. But I think that's why it's important that whether you have it or not, like said, talked about, I think being keeping it internal in the dialogue. That's why it's important to talk to people out loud. Because yep. then if I say, and thankfully, I never believed this, but if by chance I believed a divorce meant I wasn't worthy of love, if I said that to Pastor Sean, she's going to say, girl, that's foolish. Mm-hmm. You know, like some somebody saying it out loud to, to another voice, they're able to hear it not through your filters. They hear it through just an objective lens. They're able mm-hmm. to give it back to you. And you're like, oh, well, that does make sense because there are other people who've got divorced and they were they were worthy of love. They've received love. And so we're able to I think that's the power of community. And that's the importance of being willing, which to me is one of the, the breakthroughs to deal with shame, being willing to say it out of your mouth because it takes away that power of the suggestion that the enemy uh, brings with it. One of the quotes we used last week, we said that shame thrives in secrecy. Mm-hmm. Shame in thrives in secrecy. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we talked about, one of our steps last week was step six. He says you have to embrace vulnerability. You got to mm-hmm. find you a group of people who you can trust and share, whether that's a singular counselor or a group of counselors, whether that's someone at your church who you really trust, your pastor, or, or, or whether it's a friend who, you, who has proven that they can keep uh, confidence. You got to be careful who you share with. When I say embrace vulnerability, I ain't out here you telling every time, right. everything that ever happened in your life. But if you don't, what happens is shame only grows and gets stronger where there is silence and secrecy. And so we have to make sure that that's not happening. So I I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is the right name to call this, but I was thinking the whole time you're talk that everybody's talking. I'm, I was thinking, I think on Sunday, we talked a little bit about pride. And I was thinking that one of the things that dismantles shame is giving up pride. Because it's the idea that I couldn't make a mistake. It's right. the idea that I'm I'm too smart to have made a financial bad financial mm-hmm. decision, or I'm too smart to have picked a bad relationship. But when I go, wait a minute, why would I have that belief when I was so flawed that God had to send Jesus? Then I can give up pride, so then I could give up shame. That's just what I'm thinking here, that if that really if I lean in to how flawed I am as a human, 
which is why Jesus needed to come from for me. So then when the enemy or anybody says, I thought you were smarter than that. I can't believe you make a decision like that. Well, why would you think that? I, I, I'm so flawed. Jesus had to come for me. And I think that, and I think sometimes it's the mind trick you play on yourself that gets you free. So instead of being like, oh, I'm so smart, I couldn't have, actually being like, I'm so flawed, I can't believe I didn't do dumber stuff. Mm. It's about changing that perspective, right? Yeah. It's about changing yeah. that perspective. And so, so we're talking about vulnerability, right? So can one of you or two of you share maybe how did sharing your experiences of shame with some trusted individual or support group help you in the process of recovery? And, and you know, who did you reach out to? Who did you talk to about it? You know, Pastor, you talked about the whole law school thing. You know, Nietzsche's talked about um, divorce. Sid's talked about poverty. BJ's talked about not finishing school. What are some things? Who did who did you reach out to? Who did you talk to? Um, can I? Um, um, so, if if I can say. Some of the people are actually right here, but um, um, as I was going through this, I was thinking about forgiving myself, okay, to, 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 to get through the pride, to get through everything. But I was not able to forgive myself until I actually spoke to my tribe and my brothers and things like that. And so, um, you know, I think I talked to Kevin about, I, we was all on a trip one time, me, BJ, Kevin, uh, Raph, and, you know, some of my other brothers. And I was able to tell them what was going on. I got, I mean, I was able to tell them about different things. Um, and and once they talked to me, because remember that internal voice, but once I told them everything that BJ and Kevin, I could think about some different things that uh, one of my brothers, Kevin, said to me, and it sticks with me to this day or whatever, all of those different things allowed me to see myself differently, allowed me to, to, free myself. So even dealing with, um, and, and I'm not ashamed to say it now, but one of the first things I had to come through is to say, hey, you know what, I'm dealing with pornography. Well, I went to my brothers um, with that. And the first thing they did was loved on me the same way that God loved on me. That love allowed me to forgive myself, to implement steps, because there's still a whole bunch of stuff you got to do in between Hey, I got this. I'm dealing with this and I got to get free from this. There's it's some steps in between that. Um, um, so so it but it allowed me to say something to them. Then we created a system. I had to be transparent, I had to be vulnerable, I had to open myself up to all those different things. But you know what never came is more shame. None of that ever came. Only thing that came was freedom, love, and restoration. So I would definitely say, like you said, find someone you can talk to, um, even when it comes to poverty. Mom really kind of helped me deal with the stuff when it came to poverty, um, 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 because because all I wanted to do is talk to more people that that dealt with poverty and that could relate to me on poverty and 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 just help me stay in that place. But she helped me get free from that mindset or helping me get free from that mindset. Same thing with my uh, with with my brothers and things like that me being able to go to them and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This is this is the things. And then them being able to say, hey, this, or I can still get a text from a brother or still get a something. Hey, hey, are you all right? And and I know with men, especially black men, I know we'll say we're okay real quick. But most of the time, they, 
it don't stop there. We may laugh and joke, but we'll dig in and it'll help me get free from stuff. And so and that gave me that all of that get, got me to a place to where I could forgive myself, but I couldn't get through all the pride and all of that stuff until I became vulnerable, until I could actually speak up and things like that, which helps me, you know, um, talk to other people and free other people. And that's why I'm glad I got through all of it because now I can help other people get through it and, and, and walk through it. But yeah, I have a, I have a group and that's what helped me get to the point to where I could forgive myself. Cause yes, I was, every, all of my shame got wrapped up into my identity and I would just carry that around and I would end up actually making the same decisions or making the same mistakes over and over again. Cause I wrapped it up. I intertwined it all together until I could actually speak it, tell someone like BJ, Kevin, Ralph, all of my, all of my, all of my core group. Once I could tell them that they told me, Hey, that's not you. And so, um, and then I could forgive myself and then I could see it. So it's, it's definitely something I can't do by myself. So on a day-to-day basis, I still need my, my internal group, my, my group to help get me free from things. Two, 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 two things I think are pretty powerful that you said in that. One is so many times we think we can get ourselves free. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I especially say that about, about men. Uh, I don't want to overgeneralize it and act like women don't have problems with that. But one thing that men, and I happen to know this because I hang out with men, men are much less likely at least off the cuff in my experience in being vulnerable, even with the people they do life with. Um, I have observed that women tend to be more relational in the sense that they will share deeper things faster. Um, men can be together, men can become best friends in five days, but won't but, but spend five years and won't know what the other person is struggling with. Uh, it, it's, it's just something we have to change. So I heard you mention that vulnerability piece about going to your brothers and sharing what was happening. But then the other piece I heard you talk about was not being able to do it yourself, knowing that you needed God, knowing that you needed the Holy Spirit. And while this podcast is, is, is in the self-help genre, one of the things I believe with all my heart is that you can't be more self-helpful and going to the Lord for help. <laughs> that, that, is, that is the pinnacle of, of self-help. And so I appreciate you sharing that. Anybody else want to want to kind of share any experiences that um, that they had with vulnerability and, and what you did? Yeah, I can I can share real quick because, um, you know, one thing that I learned a long time ago is that if you're dealing with something mentally, the best thing that you can do for a mental attack is do something physical. It gets those endorphins moving. It gets all those different things going. So it's, you're able to free your mind up so that you can actually uh, open yourself up to to hear from God clearer and get your mind back on track to where you think things are possible. And if you're dealing with something physically, of course, you would want to. Uh, this is what I learned. If you're dealing with something physically like an ailment or something like that, you can't move around. You want to do something mentally that will be stimulating to you to keep everything functioning the way it needs to function as you're going through the recovery process. And I said that to say uh, I haven't talked about my divorce at all. But when I was going through my divorce, uh, one of the things that was real important for me dealing with it mentally was actually getting out of the house, because when I was uh, when I was going through my divorce, I was I was an entrepreneur. So if I didn't have to go out, I didn't go out. So that was all up to me. I didn't have a job that I had to get up and go to. 
And so for me, I used to always sit and laugh because I would always, I'd be like, when Sid was working at D1, I'm like, dude, what you doing? Can I come up there? Yeah. And we would go and we would go get something to eat. And that stuff, that was, that was, uh, what's the word I'm trying to, that was, um, that was, been, that was very beneficial for me because I was able to get up, get out of the house and then go to somebody who I can have them iron me like iron sharpening iron mm-hmm. and I can get out everything. I needed to sound it, but I couldn't do that over the phone. I couldn't do that through any other way besides face to face. And so with him being available, and I couldn't go to my other brothers. I could go because everybody was working. But Sam was uh, available. And so we would go get lunch. And he was working too, but he would take his lunch break and we would go on lunch or whatever. But I'm saying all of that to say the, the beautiful thing about it was is that I was going through things mentally. And so in order for me to get through that and uh and be vulnerable and find a way to get up out of the situation was me getting up out of the house not allowing those different ways and what i was also going to share was one of the things that people can look out for when it comes to dealing with shame the enemy is not just after one aspect of your life he wants to come after one aspect so that then it can then affect another aspect and then another aspect so he can he tries to come at you with this area of shame with porn so that it can affect your family life, so it can affect your job life, so it can affect your relationship life with anybody that you have. He's not just trying to come after you with one area. He wants to latch on the one so it can take on the rest of them. And that's what I began to realize when I was going through my divorce. He's trying to attack this area so it can attack my entrepreneurship. So I can say, I don't want to hang with my brothers. I want to mess up all them kind of relationships. I want to just tear it all down. You know? yeah. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, um, with all that being said, the, the the thing about being vulnerable is you need that group, you need that community that you'll be able to go to in those times so that they can sharpen you up and not just depend on yourself. You, the, the whole beautiful thing about the kingdom is we were never meant to do this thing alone. And God has those relationships for every single one of us that we can go to and we can thrive in so that we can be our best selves and so that we can be the people that he's called us to be. And so I was just thankful to have that group of my brothers at that time to go through that with because, man, I needed to see stuff from a totally different lens than what I could see it because I was I was looking at stuff totally different because I'm an optimistic kind of person. I'm just straight optimistic. But there were times as I was going through, I just needed to see stuff from the way that it was in order for me to get free. But I couldn't do that on my own. I couldn't do that on my own because I was only developed a certain way. And so due to that uh, community, I was able to get free and uh, live my best life 10 times better than I am right now. That's Amen. right. And that's why community is so important. I remember y'all had me down in Little Rock eating barbecue and I don't even like barbecue. <laughs> but, but, when, but when you need community, community shows up for you. And so that, that's important. So listen, we've been right out of an hour. I've got one last question that I'll kind of ask and because it kind of flows into really what you were just describing, uh, BJ. And, and that and the question really for all of you is, and I kind of know what, what it's going to be for most of you, but how do you maintain your mental health now to ensure that toxic shame doesn't regain that foothold in your life. You know, I, I, I asked you guys to be on this particular panel because I, I know from your lives personally what you've dealt with and what you've overcome and, and how far you've come. And so, uh, and I know that you are all believers as well. And so I'll just throw that out there. But like, what do you do? Uh, because just because you're free doesn't mean the enemy going to just say, oh, you free. I'm, I'm done with you. I mean, he's always going to try to find a way to entangle you again. So, you know, you talked about 
BJ, when things come about moving your body, your physical body, right? Or if you mm -hmm. keep doing something with your mind, what, what are some other things that you guys do in order to maintain your, your sense of mental health, um, especially in this, you know, space of, 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 of how things can just be so crazy sometimes. Thank God we're out of the pandemic. Uh, but for those two years or so that we were really in the midst of that thing, things got tight for a lot of people. So what do you do to maintain your mental health in that situation? I'll start. Um, I do a couple things. Number one, you guys are a part of my tribe. And so having a tribe this good, and I don't I don't take that lightly because everybody didn't have a real smart tribe. Um, <laughs> having a tribe that's going to give wisdom and call you out and all of that stuff. That's real. Like that, that's important. Also, Pastor Sean um, has a group in a circle, which is every Monday. Where, so like if if you just stay connected, Mm. They're just staying in the right atmosphere can call you out, even if you didn't go in to be called out. You know, like just staying in the right atmosphere. So that's the first one thing. Stand and stand with the word of God, of course, is always number one. Uh, one of the things that I do is I always tell the story on stage. I'm telling my life story and I talk about that part. And I'm always like, that's the good part, you know, because every good story has a down and a up and a like twist and turns. And so like it's just a part of the story. And so yeah. Yeah. when the enemy comes and tries to bring shame, I'm like, you do know that's the actual part. That's like the good part where that's that's like the, the low that I had to come from to the high. So I'm like, it, it takes away the sting of it because I'm yeah. like, oh, that actually makes the story more enjoyable. So like I just see it as a part of the journey as opposed to something to be embarrassed about. I'm like, oh, that's that's a part, that's chapter five, you know? <laughs> but but when you get to chapter 21, it's like, oh, who who even remembers the, the part about chapter five? Because we're, we're in a different space. And so I kind of see it from that perspective. And again, I'm a counselor. And so it's hard, unless, unless you're just not good at what you do, it's hard to um, listen to people and be in that space and not be self-reflective and try to implement the things that you're teaching and that you you learn yourself. So when I'm telling other people to forgive yourself, when I'm telling other people, I'm, I'm always internalizing that those messages as well. It's like being a pastor and telling people you have authority over the devil, then you go home and cry and say the devil messing with me. Right. Kind of need to live out <laughs> what it is that you're practicing. <laughs> okay, I'll go next so say it can go last. Uh, okay. I'll just tell you this is the beautiful thing. I'm 51 now. I don't care. Like, I mean, I just like I can remember people saying, like, how you change at 40, how you change at 50. I don't care. Like, I care about pleasing God and I care about you being happy in our relationship. The rest of this stuff I don't care about because to BJ's point. The stuff that I was jacked up about at 27, no one freaking cared at 47. Nope. I don't care. And I wish some of y'all would get some I don't care. Because one of the things I found is that the enemy can only shame you because you care. Like, literally, there are people who literally have gotten sloppy drunk, right? Fell all over the floor and don't feel no kind of way about it, right? You got drunk at 21 and you still talking about it. They don't care. Right. You can decide what you care about. And I'll end with this. If you if you're my age or if you you black in the south, let me tell you something. At some point you said to your mama, your big mama, it hurt when I hold my arm this way. And they said what? 
Don't hold it like that. Don't hold your arm that way. (laughs) So if thinking about my mistakes over and over again hurts, I'm not going to do that. If thinking about how I blew it hurts, I'm not going to do that. But like fundamentally, I just, I don't care. I, I, sometimes I want to care. Actually, I don't because I hated how much I used to care. I don't care. And it's hard to hold a person in shame who doesn't care. Let, let me say this. Let me say this, and then we'll get out of here. You got to forgive yourself for your past. You got to forgive yourself for your past. If you're going to deal with shame, it starts, number one, with forgiving yourself for something that you did or even forgiving what has been done to you. Forgiveness is the dynamite that is used to blow up shame. It'll blow shame out the water. And so I just want to encourage all of you that are on here on this podcast today, listen to the wisdom, listen to the insight and knowledge that BJ shared, that Sid shared, that Nitra shared, that Sean shared, and and, and take it. And, And don't just say, oh, that was a good podcast, but go back and listen to it and dig into where you can actually figure out what you need to do to get free from this shame. Because if you, getting free from from shame is like the spiritual emancipation proclamation. it'll, It'll break the shackles off your life. It'll get you out of bondage because so many people, and we didn't get into talking about the part about how shame has impacted our career decisions or our relationships because we'll see we'll spend some of that <laughs> shameless plug for relationships 101 on august the 8th and you should really be there but we're going to talk about how some of that shame has impacted us in our relationships don't let that stuff impact your relationships don't let it impact your career okay now there's about 75 of y'all on here so i'm gonna ask you to do one thing before we log off some of y'all came in late if you are watching on facebook any Facebook stream, I need you to type FB in the comment section. If you are watching on YouTube, okay, any YouTube channel, whether it's mine, Pastor Shuns, the churches, just type YT. I just want to get an idea of where people are watching from. Um, my, my, my coach asked me to make sure I do that a couple times. Uh, one more time, you can always follow my YouTube channel at Pastor Strick, P-A-S-T-O-R-S-T-R-I-C-K. Very easy. PastorStrick.com. When it comes up, just click that, that subscribe button. And listen, if you enjoy our guests, do me a favor before you go. Just put in the comment section, thank you. Just tell them thank you because they took time out of their schedule. They made this much more impactful than if I was just here talking to you. Uh, and I want to do more of this because this is good for me. I get to, I get to, to hear when I have guests on. And so I appreciate you guys for being here. They're saying thank you in the comment sections if you can see them. So big shout out. Thank you, Pastor Sean. Thank you, Pastor Nitra. Thank you, Pastor BJ. Thank you, Coach Vaughn. I appreciate you guys for being here. I encourage you to come back next week, next Tuesday, August the 8th at 12 o'clock. Ed Talk will be back with season two, episode number four. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for all of my guests being here and for those of you who came and stayed with us for the entire time. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you all. Y'all gonna say bye to everybody? Thank you. All right, God bless you guys and I will see you uh, next week.